We are uh, ending our conversation on identity today. We've been thinking about the components of biblical identity, the heart, the mind, the body, the community, and the soul. Uh, And I want to do something a little different but related today. Um, We're going to do a little Bible study before we get to our sermon. And I want to think about um, Jesus' identity. So if the goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus uh, and what was Jesus like? Uh, What's Jesus' heart and mind and body and community and soul like, and how can we be like Him in those ways? So, um, last week when we talked about soul, we did a little bit of a word study. We looked throughout Scripture to see where the word soul came up and what it meant. We're going to do something kind of similar today. Um, We're going to think about these components of Jesus' identity and what the Bible says about each one. Uh, So, if you were paying careful attention, your bulletin has a bunch of clues about what's going on today. So, um, pull out your bulletin for a minute and look at our call to worship, because our call to worship lists the only place in the New Testament where we ever get Jesus describing His own heart. Uh, This is in Matthew chapter 11, and Jesus is talking about um, the offering of rest. He says, come to you all who are weary and heavy laden, Um, for I will give you rest. And then we get uh, these famous words that we read this morning. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart. So what does that tell us about Jesus? Well, we've said the heart is the center of our choosing, right? The, The heart is another word in the Bible for the will or the spirit. And so when Jesus makes choices, His choices come from this sort of core of gentleness and humility. Does that make sense for us? Well, let's think about it for a minute. Um, when, when God the Son decides to become incarnate and born on earth, um, He chooses not to be born in a palace, but in a peasant's home. When he rides triumphantly into Jerusalem on the greatest day of his earthly celebration, he rides not a charger, but he chooses to ride on a donkey. When he wants to make a point of what it means to follow after him, he chooses to take off his outer garment and wrap a towel around his waist and wash his disciples' feet. Yeah, it seems like his choices are all related to this um, idea that his heart is gentle and humble. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Uh, So, all right, we got his heart. Let's talk about his mind. Um, In in a similar way, there's only um, one place in Scripture I can think of, at least, where Jesus' mind is described to us. Actually, that's not entirely true. There are several times where he is accused of being out of his mind, but let's throw those aside. Um, But in the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians, um, we get a description of the mind of Jesus. And again, you'll find this in your bulletin. We use this as our call to confession. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but humble, emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Okay, this is interesting. Um, We're we're seeing a little bit of a theme here, right, with the humility of Jesus. Uh, But we said that mind means our thoughts and our emotions. So it's not just that Jesus makes choices to be humble. He thinks 
and humble ways. He's constantly thinking about others before himself. And also, um, he has emotions related to humility. Uh, Scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus finds joy in humility. He finds, he finds uh, it's a fascinating, interesting thing to reflect upon and think about, and it, it brings joy to his life. Okay, interesting. So, we've got a theme here. Um, let's talk about Jesus' body for a minute. Cole just read a passage for us from the 20th chapter of um, the Gospel of John. The two, uh, there's a lot of interesting things happening in this passage, but two I want to point out this morning. The first is that after salvation has been accomplished, right after death has been defeated and sin has been atoned for and Jesus has been resurrected, you notice that He still has a body? That's kind of interesting, right? Because we have this idea that like, uh, it's not biblical, but we have it, that we're going to die and then like our spirit will go to heaven or our soul will go to heaven. But that's not how it works for Jesus or for us, right? There's a body, a resurrection body that He has, um, which means that even after all His work is done, Jesus says, you know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to stay human. That's kind of interesting, right? Okay, I can see the decision to say, all right, I'm going to step in as a human and live a perfect life and die for them, but, but He stays human forever. Like Jesus never stops being human. Even right now, Jesus is still human. I mean, He's God also, but He's still human, right? That's some interesting humility. I might get tired of doing that if I was God. Uh, one other thing I thought was interesting about Jesus' body, we're told that um, after His resurrection, He still bears the marks from His death. Now, I don't want you to think for a moment that when you are resurrected, you're going to come back looking like however you died, right? Because that could be really bad for some of us. Um, there's no headless horsemen in heaven, okay? Um, no, His marks are the marks of His victory and His shame, right? He's got the marks from the nails in His hands and feet. He's got the mark from the spear that went into His side. Um, that what Jesus celebrates isn't His incredible power or mighty victory, but the, the sacrificial death through which He atoned for us, right? It's this humility thing again. Okay, how about community? Um, we, if you go back, uh, we read a passage in our Assurance of Pardon from Matthew chapter 3. And um, I was reflecting on those places where we get an insight into the community of God, right? The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the few places in Scripture where all three persons are so clearly present. It's at the baptism of Jesus. And after He's baptized, the heavens open, He sees the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And, and we hear the voice of God the Father. And he says, uh, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. So the relationships that define Jesus, uh, the relationship that defines them between the Father and the Spirit and the Son, reflected here is one um, where it seems like each person of the Trinity is exalting the other. Almost every time that God the Father speaks in the Gospels, He does so to exalt the Son. Every time the Son speaks about the Father, He exalts the Father. The Spirit's job is to point people to the Son, and the Spirit descends from heaven in this moment, right? Leaves heaven to come be with Jesus. We get this sense that this is a community about lifting each other up before themselves, right? This is a community about humility. Humility. 
Okay, and, and then we get uh, this conversation about soul. Um, and we read a passage in Isaiah 42 that speaks about God's soul. I think in that moment we can interpret that to mean uh, the soul of God the Father uh, as He speaks about His Son. Um, but I want to read just one other verse in the Gospel of John where Jesus speaks about His own soul. This is John 12, 27. Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. We said that the soul is uh, that part of our identity that binds everything together, that unifies our choices and our thoughts and our emotions and our body and our relationships. And Jesus says, as he prepares for his death, his soul is troubled. That part of him that brings it all together is, is worried. This just makes total sense, right? He, he knows what's to come. But then, speaking for his soul, he says, uh, yeah, I, I'm still most interested in glorifying my Father's name. Now, I'm going to go through with my mission. I'm going to complete the task given to me. I'm going to go to the cross and to the tomb because I want to bring glory to my Father. Because my soul isn't about me, it's about um, bringing honor to Him. I had a lot of fun this week um, playing with these texts and, and reading them and thinking about, boy, what is it uh, that ties together the whole identity of Jesus, right? The, the heart and the mind and the body and the soul and the community. And it seems pretty clear that this theme that runs throughout every one of these components of Christ's identity is a theme about humility. And I want to be careful. I don't want to suggest this is the only important quality of Jesus, okay? It's clearly not. He has a lot of important qualities. But, but when the Bible makes a big deal about something, um, maybe we should too. And it seems like this is a big deal, that the identity of Jesus and every one of those components is unified, as we would imagine it would be, around this theme and idea of humility. In 1979, um, in the Covent Garden in London, um, there was a birthday party, or birthday celebration rather, for Sir Robert Mayer, who was 100 years old. And at this event, there was an elderly uh, socialite um, named Lady Diana Cooper. Uh, at the time, uh, Lady Diana was 86 years old, and she was in this event and talking to folks, and because of her age, her eyesight wasn't great. And so Lady Diana Cooper is engaged in a conversation with this delightful person that she can't quite recognize, but who seems to know her really well. And as the conversation goes on and on and on, eventually um, she notices the magnificent diamonds this woman is wearing. And all of a sudden, she realizes that she's talking to Queen Elizabeth. And she freaks out, uh, and she curtsies, and she says, ma'am, 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 oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I, I'm so sorry. I just didn't recognize you without your crown. And Queen Elizabeth says, well, it seemed so much that tonight should be about Sir Robert Mayer that when I left this evening, I left my crown behind. That's what Jesus does, right? Jesus is the story of the God who left His crown behind. 
more than we can ever imagine, who steps out of heaven down to earth to become one of us, who humbles himself, taking on human form and then the form of a servant, and then dying on a cross, also we could be exalted. And that humility of Jesus is absolutely essential. If we want to understand his identity, we got to get this. And if we want to be like Jesus, we got to be like him in this. So if Jesus is all about humility, what would it mean for us to try to be like Jesus? Uh, I, I think there are um, a couple things we can do that help us a lot in this journey, and there are a couple of problems that we can stumble upon. Um, I, I think the big problem we stumble upon, uh, if we want to be like Jesus in this way, is um, we can fall into kind of a false humility. You've all done this. I've done this too. Um, we fall into false humility for all kinds of reasons. We fall into false humility because um, we think we're supposed to act a certain way, and so we're just trying to be acceptable. We fall into false humility because um, it becomes a way to justify the fact that we don't really respect and care about ourselves well. We fall into false humility because sometimes we want to be a pushover in our lives and it allows us to be that and justify that. Um, and, and I think the, the risk for us in that false humility is um, beginning to believe that um, that. Humility is making ourselves less. And so, Philip Brooks, I think, helps us with this a lot to understand the humility of Jesus um, that we're called to live into. See, I, I think Jesus' humility comes naturally, but for us, humility comes supernaturally. Right? It's easy for Him. It's hard for us. Philip Brooks says, um, the true way to humble, to be humble, is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. Uh, Philip Brooks says, the way to be humble is not to stoop and to make yourself smaller than you really are, but to stand at your full height against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. That's what the cross does for us. It says you can be at your best and still see how far you have to come. Um, we're not asking you uh, to be humble by pretending to be less than you are. We're asking you to be humble by recognizing how great God is and how far we have to go to get where He's at. And so it's in the shadow of the cross that we find real humility. Uh, and, and I think then there are just a couple of things we do uh, to try to work on living into the humility of Jesus. Uh, the first one is that we have to practice it. Again, it's natural for Him, but it's supernatural for us. We have to practice humility on a regular basis. That's why um, we get the instructions, let the same mind be in you that's in Christ Jesus. Work on this in your life. I've shared with you before that humility is not something that comes naturally to me, uh, and I have a, a weird profession where I stand in front of lots of people and talk for extended periods of time, uh, and then I, I, I occupy a spot in the back of the room and people leave, and they have to say nice things to me as they go, like it's a great system, right? Uh, my friends and I used to always call this the perjury line, because as you're leaving, you, what else are you going to say except for good sermon, right? I mean, you know. Don't be honest about it. Um, 
Uh, and so a number of years ago, I've shared this with you before, a number of years ago, um, I, I committed to working on my own humility um, by every time someone would say, hey, good sermon or good job or that was meaningful or whatever, I try to always respond by saying, praise God, praise God. And I'll be completely honest with you, um, when I started doing that, um, I didn't really mean it. I mean, I meant it. I mean, I, I wanted to mean it, right? But I was still really happy when people said, good job, Pastor. I mean, I was thinking, yeah, praise God, but yeah, good job, Jim. Um, but you practice it, right? And you practice it, and you practice it. And I got to tell you, one of the coolest things for me is there are real moments now when someone will come up to me and say, hey, Jim, I heard something great in the sermon today, and I'll say, praise God, and I'll mean it. And I'll really mean it. I'll, I'll, for a moment, I'll get out of my own way, and I'll say, it is so cool that God showed up, right? It wasn't actually me. It was actually God, and, and you got to practice it, right? It doesn't come natural. It comes supernatural. But if we practice it, we can start looking like Jesus. Um, William Temple in his book, Christ and His Church, says, humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than of other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself one way or the other at all. Isn't that helpful? Uh, humility doesn't mean thinking bad things about myself. It, it means I just don't obsess about myself at all. Good or bad, I get out of the way and I let God have center stage. Right? That, that's what I'm trying to practice and grow in my life. So we, we got to practice it. And then, um, very simply, we, we have to um, remind ourselves again and again uh, of the humility um, that um, defines us and gets us where we're at. Um, Alex, uh, Alex Haley, who's the author of the book Roots, uh, tells the story of a picture he keeps in his office. And I've got a copy of that picture. Can you put that up? Um, it's a turtle on a fence post. There we go. Um, I love this picture, okay? Uh, it's a turtle. Now, okay, somebody, somebody's going to say, oh, that poor turtle. Okay, yeah. I, I'm hoping the turtle gets down eventually, okay? Um, but his point of this is every time he starts feeling big-headed. Every time he starts feeling like, wow, look at all that I've done and I've accomplished. Um, he looks at this picture and he reminds himself, um, go to the next slide. Um, uh, every time you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know he had some help. Uh, I, I love that really simple idea, right? Every time I start thinking, boy, um, Jim Gates is a big deal, I need to be reminded I had a lot of help. I'm a turtle on a fence post. Uh, and, and that help comes from people in my life, but most importantly, it comes from the Savior in my life. Uh, and if I want to be living into the humility of Jesus, um, it comes for Him naturally. It comes for me supernaturally. I've got to work not just at practicing humility, but reminding myself, right? reminding myself of all that Christ has done for me, reminding myself that um, I, I'm a turtle on a fence post, right? It, uh, I stand in the shadow of the cross. And it's all that Christ has done for me that equips me to, to become slowly but surely, inch by inch, uh, a person who looks like Jesus. John Riskin said, uh, the first test of a truly great man is his humility. I do not mean by humility doubt of his own power or hesitation in speaking his opinion, but really great men and women have a feeling that greatness is not in them but through them that they could not do or be anything else than God made them. I love that idea. Uh, 
that I practice getting out of my own way, and I remember all that God has done for me so that um, I can start looking more and more like Jesus. See, here's the key. Um, There are some ways in which you cannot help but be like Jesus. Like Jesus, you have a body uh, that God made and calls good, and uh, you will have a body in heaven. Um, Like Jesus, you are a relational being, and you're going to have relationships on earth and relationships in heaven. Like Jesus, uh, you have to define your life and your character by the choices you make, and you're going to make choices in this life, and you're going to make choices in heaven. Like Jesus, uh, you are a person who is um, expected to guide and direct your own thoughts and emotions rather than being ruled by them, and you're going to have thoughts and emotions now and thoughts and emotions in heaven. Like Jesus, you have a soul. Uh, That piece of you that organizes and binds together all the components of your life into one coherent identity. And you're going to have a soul now, and you're going to have a soul in heaven. But there's one choice you have to make, and that is whether you will use your heart and your mind and your body and your relationships and your soul to look like Jesus. Whether you will value the humility that He so valued whether you will humble yourself before Him and live a life, a humble life with Him. That's the most important choice you'll ever have to make. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that today um, our identity could be found in You and in Your Son, Jesus. We pray that uh, it could not be about us. We want to get out of the way, and we want to let Christ take center stage. And so we pray uh, that as His life was shaped um, by His humble devotion to You and to the work that You gave Him and to our salvation, so our lives might be humbly devoted uh, to His service and to the service of the church and those He came to save and those who don't yet know Him. We pray, Lord, that in every component of our life, we might come to look like every component of Christ's life. And it's in this that we hope and pray, and in this that we place all our trust, that one day we might have the privilege of standing beside and behind and with and together in Christ. In His holy name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.